Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode six, The Cock Barons. You said it with a straight face. Good <laughs> for you. Written by Noga Landau, directed by Kate Woods. IMDb gave this an 8.4. So they gave it a big bump up from episode five, which was at a 6.9, a record low. The summary for this is Quentin strives to help a friend who is suffering. Elliot and Margot's negotiations take a shocking turn. Julia and Katie discover a possible key to stopping Reynard. So what were your thoughts on this episode overall? Uh, it wasn't my favorite of all the episodes. And in the beginning, while watching it, I was very upset about a lot of the scenes. And we will get into that. But as a whole, looking back on it, there are key moments in this episode where we found out that Alice is still alive and is living inside of mm -hmm. Quentin's tattoo, the start of a war, the beautiful way that they mix comedy in. I think in the end, I did come out appreciating the episode more, looking back at it. I thought this was curious because last episode, episode five, Cheat Day, IMDb gave the lowest rating. This one, they went back up a lot. I was the reverse. I didn't love last episode, but I liked it a lot more than this. I was pretty disappointed with episode six, there were a lot of short scenes, so it kept me jumping around. It felt very jumbled, and the areas I would have liked to see more, such as Penny's storyline, had the really short scenes. And I agree with you, it was definitely the spark for things to come. However, I thought we were past all of that. We had so much building episodes one, two, even three. I was waiting to get to the meat of the story, Felt like we had finally gotten there, and now this is a big jump back. In addition, they were introducing additional problems that I didn't know if it was necessary. For instance, we just learned of the issue with the Foo Fighters for Fillory that Margot and Elliot had to deal with last episode. We haven't even really developed that yet, and they're already bringing in a war with Loria this episode. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Why they keep compounding the plot is really confusing to me because we do already have really interesting storylines that I think we could dive into and, and they just keep adding more to it. I'm afraid that they might get lost in this. Yeah, instead of just delving deep into, all right, let's explore the Foo Fighters now, what happened to Baylor in the execution. And even without that, you already had the problem with the wellspring and the crops not growing and all of that. I I understand what they're doing, that a lot is being thrown at these rulers. They don't even know how to be in charge of a kingdom yet, and they're being presented with very real issues that shit is falling apart in Fillory, and it is going to come at them from left, right, and center. That didn't bother me quite as much if we stayed there and kept the focus primarily on that, then we could deal with more problems. However, we're continuing to split the episodes and spend so much time on Earth with the Julia Katie storyline that people are probably sick of hearing me complain about that, but I'm kind of feeling very done with it. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's getting too much screen time for a season where I thought we were supposed to be all fillery all the time. You know, it might work if this forces the Foo Fighters to team up with the royalty. 
mm-hmm. this war, and that's what get, brings them together. So that might work to fight Loria. Yeah, I could, yeah. I could see what they're doing with Fillory at least, and I can appreciate that, even though it feels scrambled right now. It's it's really more of the Julia Katie storyline, and also I was a little confused with the point of spending so much time with Alice's parents this episode. I liked where it wound up the problems that you have between Quentin and Alice. But again, I just felt we were ready to finally be in Fillory, and he's another character who has been almost totally earthbound now for season two. I definitely appreciated the storyline with Julia's parents towards the end, but I think the execution, and I'm going to say this a lot, so get used to it, the execution (laughs) of the storyline was wrong. It felt shallow. It also felt at times cheap, like Charlie's fall. You're speaking of the latter fall. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of like, what? We cut to, and all of a sudden, okay. (laughs) Kind of just fell. and. Yeah, there were definite problems here. Before we jump into that, though, let's back it up for a minute and talk new faces and places. We were reintroduced to Stephanie Quinn and Daniel Quinn, Alice's parents. Stephanie is played by Judith Hogue, and Daniel is played by Tom Amandes. We also met the infamous Prince S., Played by Arlen Escarpetta, who we learn is the Prince of Loria. He was a fun character. I liked meeting him. Yeah, I did like him. His presence was amazing right away. We watched some behind the scenes of the costuming, which I did enjoy. It felt a little Game of Thronish from the northern regions with the fur coats that they're wearing. Makes sense, though, because they live in a rugged place. And that's the type of clothing they would need to survive. Yeah, and I really, I liked the contrast between that and what you're expecting from a people like that, and then you get the prince talking, and he's really more New York City sass, like Margot herself, and I loved the relationship building between the two of them throughout. Okay, next, let's talk new places. This is interesting because there are two, but we didn't actually get to see either one of them. The first is Loria a land of harsh tundra and warlike people who have spent centuries resenting so-called Florian privilege. It is also the site of Ember's banishment while the beast ravaged Fillory. Loria and Fillory have maintained a cold peace until now, partially because they wanted to stay off the beast's radar. That was a fun tidbit because I wasn't aware of that. We're going to talk a lot more about this kingdom and its people a little later on because that was our Fillory quest for this week. Where is Ember? (laughs) Yeah, I had that as an ongoing question also. That's pretty interesting. It seems like he's not in Loria, or else you think we would have heard about that during this episode. Oh, for sure. I mean, he should be helping. This is his land. Yeah. I don't, I'm not really convinced that he cares all that much from what we've seen of him. Maybe he's lost complete hope in humans. Yeah, that could definitely be. Or it could be another one of those tropes that it has to be the children of Earth or the people here that fix it. You know, like it's their journey. But yeah, we didn't actually get to see Loria. We were tricked into thinking we would, and we'll talk about that in the plot line. The second one is the Clock Barons. When I saw the title of this episode last time, I assumed it was a fun play on the actual location from the books and that we would get to see it. However, as we went through this episode, I realized that wasn't going to happen. No. But it is on the Fillory map, so they described it. It says, One of Fillory's greatest enigmas and the handiwork of the Watcher woman, Jane Chatwin. 
Seemingly overnight, a desolate landscape gave rise to a grove of mysterious clock trees. No one knew why Jane created them or what function they served, but inside the bounds of the barrens, time runs a bit differently, sometimes faster, slower, in reverse, or stopping altogether with no discernible rhyme or reason. I loved that because it's so interesting and it brings up the whole theory of the way time works in Fillory, which we're going to discuss later because they made it seem like that was going to be a big issue. Yeah. And yet we haven't heard any more about it since then. And actually, we haven't heard any more about the Chatwins since Jane died either. No, we haven't. I guess we're done with that. I suppose, because now that the Beast is dead too, it's, it's just a little weird. I didn't feel a ton of closure on being done with them. I'm sure we have plenty of seasons left, so I'm sure they could go back to that. Maybe they need her again, or maybe she's left some things that they don't know about. Yeah. Or these clock barons, that would have been the perfect place for it, right? Because she was the one who actually was the watcher woman in dealing with the time and the clock trees. So we know that Fillory's time is different from Earth's, but you're saying the clock barons' time is different different from from Earth's. And Fillory's. They're up north. How is it different? It's, it's sometimes faster, slower, in yeah. reverse. How is it in reverse? I think <laughs> this must be the seat of or have something to do with when she kept going back to replay the past and try right. to get to a different conclusion. She was somehow doing it through the watch that she carried with her. And in the books, there were numerous trees in Fillory that had clocks on them. And you knew they had to be associated with the Watcher Woman, but you didn't really knew, know what they did. Yeah, the show had it too, especially the first season and I think episode one of this season, but we haven't seen it since. Right. And this makes it sound like there's an area where there's a bunch of them and perhaps something to do with her moving through time created a ripple in that area. Oh. And so it doesn't move right. That's just um, a guess of mine. Do you think they'll play this into the storyline or no? I really hope so. I don't think they would put it on the map of Fillory if not because there's so few locations on that interactive uh, sci-fi website that I think they must all be really important to the storyline. It was just a little bit strange that the title of this episode was a play on that and yet we don't see the clock barons. Whereas the title of next episode is Plan B... And we got a mention to plan B in this episode. I think you're right. Did we see, we didn't see one tree with a clock. We didn't see the clock barons at all. Maybe we're way off. I don't think it's a mistake, though, the title of the episode, unless they were just being cute in making reference to it. What got me confused is they were transported, not really, but they were thought to be transported to Loria, which looked like a bunch of penises. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, oh, that's the, cl- that's the cock barons. Mm-hmm. But I believe the clock barons are south more. It seems as though they are to the west of us, Castle Whitespire, closer to the western shore, if you will, of Fillory. But south of Loria and in between the clock barons and Loria is the Flying Forest. So what did that have to do with this episode exactly? It seems nothing. That's why it's so weird. If we're missing something, let us know. <laughs> okay, the last thing we have is our new creatures. And there was one, the Haxen Paxen, a large human-like creature whose magical energy and scent is strong enough to disguise the presence of magical humans. This was played by Jason Burkhart. Very creepy creature, indeed. 
And we learned that the name Haxon Paxson actually came from a book that the producer, Sierra Gamble, read a long time ago. By Ian Rogers called Every House is Haunted. I looked up the description and it says, In this brilliant debut collection, Rogers explores the border places between our world and the dark reaches of the supernatural. The landscape of death becomes the new frontier for scientific exploration. A honeymoon cabin with an unspeakable appetite finally meets its match. A suburban home is transformed into the hunting ground for a new breed of spider. A nightmarish club at the crossroads of reality plays host to those who can break a deal with the devil. With remarkable deafness, Rogers draws together the disturbing and diverting in 22 showcase stories. So, ghost stories. (laughs) Scary stories. Yeah, and that was kind of her homage to those stories. Mm -hmm. We've got a book reader, people. Just a couple quick fun facts about this episode. Judith Hogue, who plays Alice's mother, mm-hmm. was April O'Neil in the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. That's crazy. How many years ago is that now? 17 years ago? No, 27 it's years gotta ago. It's got to be more than that because, yeah, we were young when we watched it. So long ago. I remember her. Yeah. There, I think she was a redhead then. Well, at least for the movie. I think you're right. Yes. I don't know if you noticed, but the Lorians use a wand. And that's funny, we were talking about the difference from the magicians and Harry Potter's. The magicians use their hands and a lot of skills with their fingers to make the magic. But the Florians actually use a wand, a physical wand. Florians like to joke that they must be compensating for something, which is pretty funny. I was really intrigued by that. And I was glad when they give you the quest and you get more information about it, they do perhaps explain why that is. Well, I think it's because they're in such a harsh environment and it's so far away from the well that the magic is harder to come by and they need a bigger medium to bring out the magic in themselves. And the wand is that medium. Yeah, we definitely know that's a part of it. And that's why they're here looking for their piece of the pie. They want a better split of the wellspring. But they should know that they can't move the wellspring. They can't split it. As soon as you take a little bit out, the place starts shaking. They might not know the reality of how bad it's gotten. You know, with the beast, uh, our children didn't even know until they got a look at it themselves, what kind of condition, and then embers befouling of it. I mean, they live way up north. They might have not have the full lowdown. I can't help but to think that it's the Florians and the Lorians. <laughs> too similar. <laughs> and the people of the south. It's their fault it's gotten this bad. It's not the humans. I mean, it kind of is because the beast was a human, but it's more their fault. I understand he was powerful, but I think if they all came together and fought him, especially when magic was still fresh, they would have been able to beat him. Well, think about if our children of Earth had never shown up and gone on this quest to take him on, would he have finished off the well? He was very nearly at it already. With nobody standing against him. So I have one more fun thing to tell you. You took the magician's personality quiz last week that I wasn't aware of. We talked about your results that you had gotten Penny. So, of course, I had to go on and take it. It was 10 questions, which I was a little suspect of the questions themselves and if I would get an accurate answer. But just as you made me guess, I'm going to make you guess for me. Who do you think I got? I'm kind of grumpy right now, so and everything you do is making me mad just because I'm grumpy. 
So I'm going to say you're Margot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that, but you called it better last week when you said you thought I would be most like Alice. Yeah. That was my answer. And all it said was, you're a natural at magic, but shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So it, it makes sense with you. Mm-hmm. That was perfect. Some of our clatchers also took it between last episode and this, and they wrote to us on Twitter what theirs were. At Catching24 got Penny, at Dejan Natasha got Elliot, and at Melly Bamboo got Elliot as well. Wow, that's interesting. I wonder how many characters were on there that you could actually be. You got to figure there's at least Quentin, Elliot, Margot, and Penny. I bet it's, it's just the main characters. I don't think anyone got the Beast or anything. Okay. But that would be cool. That would it? be cool. I mean, it's like, is Katie on there? You know, Julia. I think Katie and Julia are there. Okay. All right, Jason, we have a lot of scenes to get through, so let's jump into our plot. We open up in the Fillory Woods, where Quentin is performing a dance, if you want to call it that. Margot first thinks it's Tai Chi and then ballet. The two of them are making fun of him, but he explains that it's Niffin Beat. You need to call them with something personal. So he's doing Cirque du Soleil, something he used to act to cheer Alice up when she was sad. Margot says Alice was working on a reversal spell, and she thinks that's what Q is doing to finish it so he can change her back. But they're talking to him like he's crazy, telling him it's not working and that she's gone. At that, Q says he needs to go back for her memorial tomorrow and tell her parents what happened. Then he will come back and be a king. So he takes the button and returns to Earth. Yeah, he was doing it for about an hour. And I actually said in my notes before Elliot says it that it looked like Tai Chi. So clap, clap for me. I but, uh, thought he looked like an idiot. But great acting, though. I don't know how he did that dead serious. Or for an hour. Insane. <laughs> So basically, he was trying to do something personal that would call to her as the nymphin. Yeah, Yeah, that was supposed to be the bait for how you bring them out, I suppose. And we know now that she was there the whole time, just in his back. Yeah. To him, it didn't seem like it was working, though, in the moment. So what's in his back? Her soul or... Because it's not her body. We saw her body. I'm assuming as a Niffin, you take on a different form. When she transformed into it, you could still see her, and she still sort of looked like Alice, but it kind of felt more like pure energy. And if you are pure magic, you can probably take any form you'd like. It's true. But very smart of that Kako demon. He couldn't get rid of her, and he didn't know how else to protect Quentin, but that's its sole purpose in life. So it did the only thing it could think to do, trap her. Yeah, very smart. Very quick thinking. I mean, it sucks that it was inside of his back, but, you know, he didn't have uh, much of a shot. And as Jason put it, who plays Quentin, I thought it was very eloquently said and perfectly said that, and I'm not going to get it correct, but it was something like, it's a lover, a lost lover now stuck to haunt him forever. Mm. And it's pulling at his soul and emptying his soul. Yeah, said me- it way better than mentally that, and physically, they yeah. are stuck together now. Yeah. Yeah, and how do you get over somebody and move on when it's actually living inside of you? And it was in this scene where I noticed Margot's outfit. This yes. is a perfect outfit for her. 
I don't know if you remember a couple episodes ago, she was wearing like that 90s get up with those fucking shoulder pads. I hate shoulder pads. (laughs) Please never come back in fashion. I made notice of that too. Elliot and Margot's attire in this episode, I absolutely love. It seems to be becoming more fitting to their characters and taking on the look of rulers as well. Hats off to the costume designers. Yeah, she looked badass in it. It was definitely her personality. A little bit of beauty, a little bit of elegance, and a little bit of kick-ass. Mm, yep. So now Quentin is given the button so that he could go back to Earth and then come back when he needs to yes. Fillory after he goes to this wake. But how did he get there to begin with? We left last episode where he saw Alice across the street saying, help me. Yep. How did he get back there? To Fillory. Penny wasn't with him. This is bothering the hell out of me because they made such an appointment to tell you how difficult it was to get back and forth between Fillory and Earth to the point that him and Julia had to go find that magical object that would take them back in time so they could follow the Chatwin children into the telephone box. It was a whole huge to-do. As far as we know, there's only two real effective ways right now that they can transport. The one button, which it seems has been with Margot. And the other is Penny traveling. Yeah. They also told us very early on that time moves differently on Earth from in Fillory. So there was the possibility that days would go by in one place while years would go by in another. That's what Elliot was so afraid of when they had to leave him behind. But now they're just bouncing back and forth with no, no worries. seeming consequences. And our Clatcher Lindsay brought this up. She wrote to ask us, does Margot's constant back and forth from Fillory bother you just a bit, since there seems to be no weight to it? I mean, there's no mention she's been gone for even a few days on Fillory or Earth. Should they leave it like that, or at least include it occasionally? I think it's great that it's not a constant problem, like they're stuck on Earth and they can't find their way back. We wouldn't want to make the whole season about that. No. And it would also be super depressing if they were gone for a day and got back and say three years had gone by. But maybe a little bit of a glitch, a week they lose Hmm. and stuff has happened or it's a little tricky to get back and forth. It just feels too easy or too frequent, perhaps. So let's follow Quentin back to Earth where he's at Alice's house, where her father, Daniel, is making a charade with a sacrificial goat and her mother, Stephanie. It's milking sympathy from their friends. (laughs) These oh my God! Two are ridiculous. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I was a good mother. Everywhere I look, I was better than my parents. Me of her. Oh my God! You can see why Alice was so frustrated with these parents, and the first time she was afraid to bring Quentin home for him to meet them. Yeah. And the father is just sort of Looney Tunes with all of his going back to ancient rituals and customs whether it's greek or roman egyptian but the first time i met them i thought they were flighty somewhat absentee parents but i didn't know they were this bad i thought they were just like adventurers and they were really self-absorbed but not like this she talked about them as being this bad but really more so her mother is the one i thought she had the issue with and that's kind of what i took objection to was it seemed the father took more of the brunt of her revenge scheme here yeah And I guess we can get a little more into that later, but I'm not sure if we knew enough about them and her issues from childhood and how they suffered to make an episode completely based on 
getting back at them really worth it? You know, does that have any emotional weight for us to it? Do we care enough is what I... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I did. Yeah. And we're not that attached to the characters themselves of Daniel and Stephanie. But I did love how Alice does reappear and leads Quentin to a locked door. So it's like this ghostly creature. She looks kind of sexy, you know, in a ghostly kind of weird way. And scary. And he's like, you're kind of freaking me out. I love you, but you're very ghost-like right now. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was perfect. So then we got him talking to himself, thinking that he's crazy. And I'm even wondering if he's kind of crazy. Like, I want this to be true, but what if it is all in his head? Yeah. But then as she disappears, she leaves him a clue, which is, I guess, etched into the wooden frame in the hallway is the numbers 25423. Yes, the code to get into the keypad on the door. So as he puts it in, he's able to get in. But when you look back right before commercial, it's not there. Yeah. So it was like in his head. The numbers are gone. So this automatically affirms to me that she is real. All it did was confuse me. I thought he was right until it disappeared. And then I thought, yep, he is going crazy. How would he have known the numbers? Not, Not that she's not real, but... She's not actually appearing. This is somehow happening in his mind through her Niffin magic or whatever. She's speaking to him and leading him, but she's not there in the way he was hoping. Right. Then it's the cool part when he gets in. She's knocking on the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, that's spooky. Yeah, and he's we- like, all right, just don't jump out at me. Once he opens it, he discovers the book that she wants him to read. And of course, Daniel walks in as he's doing so. Yeah, well, we find out it's his private study that Quentin's been inside of. And Quentin takes the opportunity to talk to Daniel about it and tell him what's been going on, the fact that he has been seeing Alice. And we'll find out shortly enough, far from thinking he's crazy, Daniel believes him. He said it sounds like his daughter. It sounds like something he would believe in. That is true, but... Plus hope, denial of a parent. Yes, Yes, very true. But just based on the way he said it, how sensitive and understanding he was to Quentin, who, let's face it, he really doesn't know all that well. No. This is sort of a stranger showing up and saying, hey, we found this completely magical world, got into a battle with an evil demon, Alice was killed and transformed into a creature of pure energy, and now she's following me around with her dead spirit and nobody can see her but me. 99.9% of people would tell you you're crazy and to get the hell out of their house. He sat and listened to him, believed him, and then agreed, let's try to help her. So I, it made me think, regardless of what she's been through and his flaws, in some ways, he is a very good father and he cares about her and loves her and now is willing to help Quentin in return because he knows that Q really cared about her as well. But first, we see that Katie is still taking the withdrawal draft Julia has been making as they continue to search for the strange occurrences that might lead them to Reynard. Julia finds it. In August 1976, there was a simultaneous hailstorm, tidal wave, and hurricane that rippled down the entire hemisphere. They follow the chain reaction back to its source on a map, Hoboken, New Jersey, where an industrial park burned to the ground. There was no explanation for the fire, which left one building untouched with a circle charred around it. This doesn't make sense because we all know nothing ever starts in Hoboken, New Jersey. (laughs) 
Well, and the way they weren't coming across anything. And then all of a sudden, they're looking through thousands of stacks of meaningless newspapers. And there's this event and that event and this event that all just suddenly coalesced. It's, again, the sloppiness with this storyline. Very much. And it's going to get really out of control this episode. It went from a minor annoyance that I was feeling bored, like they were sidelining Julia, and it wasn't tying into our regular characters, to it got messy here. And I think that's mostly what bugged me about this episode. Well, again, the execution. I liked how it summed up in the end. That storyline was pretty cool. She will have the power to get rid of the fox Mm -hmm. once the baby's born or right after the baby's born, but only for that time. Agreed. That's a cool storyline. Or the fact that the fox could never find this woman because of the Haxon Paxson. Yeah. That was cool. But the execution, the how do we get them to find it? I'm going to jump ahead a second, but the blood... Remaining blood? Come on, for from 40 years the ago? The CSI, they're discovering all these newspaper clues and mixing the blood and yeah. performing this very silly spell that's going to open a book and give them the magic. It felt like cheesy magic. Yeah. Like if we were making a show that was very different from the magician show we've come to know and love that is going to take the cheap way out and they have to do this one-off episode, so they're going to give you a whole minor subplot of Julia and Katie find the woman. And, yeah, I really, I didn't like that. I felt they were better than that, and it was just running through trying to give you easy answers to how they were going to get to Dana. Dana herself, I didn't feel they spent enough time with. I didn't even know her name till I looked it up later on IMDb. So that all felt a little bit wonky. To get there, but I like, agree with you. Kind of like Charmed. Remember Charmed? The yes. three witches. Yes. And I mean, for what that was, I watched it every so often. It was very campy, but it was supposed to be. And you knew this that about it. Yeah. This yeah. shouldn't have felt like that. It wasn't like it, it came out of left field the way this did. But we'll come back to them. They kind of end it here for the moment that they realize this building is the place they've been looking for. Let's go see what one of my favorite characters are up to. Oh, please check in with Penny. Fenn goes to talk to Elliot about Baylor, but Penny interrupts as he returns. And this is when we get the great banter off of each other that they're really good at. The way Elliot bounces off of Penny and Penny bounces off of Elliot. Very funny, very charming at the same time as well. It's cool. I really dig it. Elliot just slips in there that he got Fenn pregnant and it's Unky Penny. (laughs) Yeah. I know you two are close. Shut up. I am trying to ask if you are okay. Are you okay? Okay. I need to know where your Dicranum scoparum majoris grows. Are you having a seizure? Moss. Why? Fix my hands. Got a royal botanist or something? Oh, well, um, we did, but apparently he sort of got eaten on the job. By what? A plant? I hate hate this place when he leaves i forgot to write this in my notes when he when they walk away from each other and penny's like fuck this sucks elliot goes i love you (laughs) (laughs) it's it's very elliot like and meanwhile quentin explains to daniel what's been happening with alice as we said strangely enough daniel believes him he says his daughter sent him information a while ago about plover estate and how the ancients dealt with ghosts he thinks Alice's ka, her soul, is not at rest, but he knows how it can be. B 
because one ancient civilization mastered this, the Egyptians. I kind of get it. It sounds like her soul is at rest, and this could be a way to, to rest the soul. But I, I, right away I was like, not interested, because obviously it's not, and this is just a waste of time. And they're building a stupid plastic pyramid that's going to have some kind of magic. You can tell straight off isn't going to work. That's what I mean. It, it felt like a silly diversion. Because now, in addition to not knowing what to do with Julia, we don't know what to do with Quentin, <laughs> our main character. <laughs> Seriously? You and I were discussing this the other night. And you were saying how there's so much to go through. And you're worried that they're doing all these kind of filler episodes and we might miss some of it. But the more we thought about it, I think that they know this is a good show and they want to get a few more seasons out of it. I mean, it's being compared to Buffy and Buffy was on TV for years. So maybe they're trying to stretch those books as far as possible to not pull a Game of Thrones where they're like, we're out of paper. What do I we do next? really hope so. If that is the answer, I can deal with a few cheesy episodes while we yeah. work out the kinks. But you were just getting to the best part, I thought, of the Magician series. And maybe this is just a personal problem because I loved the mid part of book two. But there's so much there that I don't feel we should be struggling yet. Right. This is not the time. This is the time they have finally introduced the magical world, the creatures, the quests we're going on. Milk that for a bit. You know, if we hit the end of season Milk two... It. Like a unicorn? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if we hit the end of season two, maybe season three, and you have to put a few filler diversions in, that's great. But you haven't sold it yet, yeah. I don't believe. Now, I'm not going to say it was a cheesy episode. I'm not going to go that far. It's a little harsh. I'll be harsh. We might have some of the actors <laughs> listening. We love you all. Oh, they're not to blame. They're still doing a fantastic job. It was some cheesy segments, and I think cheesy's even a little... Let's say, not as smooth segments. If you want to be on our podcast, you, you're more than welcome. We're big fans. I'm gonna no. say <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna kidding. say bizarre. Bizarre. Okay. And, and leave it at that. No, but we love this show. It's just some of the things could have been done better. Well, when you love a show so much, you come to expect certain things out of them. Mm -hmm. And off the heels of such a great couple of episodes, it's leaving me confused. How did we get here? It's like a long marriage that was so great. And then you look back and you're like, how did we get here? We're, we're this is hitting, not what we love. We're hitting our 10-year <laughs> slump at two years. All right? We should still be in honeymoon phase. <laughs> get it together. And where is my penny? There's not enough goddamn Thank penny you. in this show. All you got to do if you don't know where to go is beef up the penny scene. Penny and Elliot. And instead they're cutting them out. Yeah. Give me some more penny screen time and I'll forgive you for pyramids <laughs> and Egyptian nonsense. Emissaries from the north, Stormcastle Whitespire. Elario announces princess. Okay, that scene was great. Because I was like, princess? I was yeah. thinking the same thing. <laughs> you can call me S. And then Elliot's like, oh my God, fuck your parents, dude. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah, princess. The Prince of Loria. It turns out the prince is fluent in Earth because his mother was Earthborn. Also, I believe that his parents sent him to Earth for a while to study. Yes, they were very progressive. So we find his father was from here, somewhere in Fillory. His mother was from Cincinnati. <laughs> 
And I guess he was born here, but then went somewhere to Earth and studied and then came back. S tells the rulers they've been fucking up and Loria is being screwed. They want a 50-50 split of the wellspring, and in return, he offers his hand in marriage to the virgin, Queen Margot. <laughs> when she shoots him down, he calls for Plan B, a master illusionist named Ilario, who uses his wand to cast a massive spell. Which we believe, for right now, is that they have captured the castle and transported it to Loria. Now, Margot is not a virgin, and Summer made a point on Twitter to let us know. She wrote, Quote, to be clear, Margot is not a virgin. Did we have any guess in our mind? <laughs> and again, these guards suck. These Florian the guards. The ones, yeah. <laughs> they don't stop them. I mean, you saw how large this castle is. Mm-hmm. For them to get to the throne room means they had to go through a lot of the castle untouched. Yeah. Just storm in. And then once they transport the castle, I heard Prince S say to the dungeon or Yeah, the guards. I I think what's happening here is the beast was ruling for so long, nobody in this castle or kingdom, for that matter, really knows how to manage what to do with the rulers. You see they're just spending tons of time working on this champagne campaign (laughs) that they think is real. They're not focused on the issues they should be. Oh, that should be a shirt. The champagne campaign? Yeah, or just champagne campaign. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, they they clearly need to adjust, and Elliot and Margot, as leaders, don't quite know how to delegate yet and tell them what needs to be done. Again, Elliot felt... He feels soft in these times, and he didn't really speak much. It was Margot who would speak, and he was more taken aback. And if you remember Elliot in season one, oftentimes he was quiet, but that's because he was in his head because he was so high. (laughs) Now he seems in his head because he's so overwhelmed. But when he does talk, I love it. So I wonder, is he just overwhelmed? Does he hate confrontation? He doesn't hate confrontation because he was very... I think he's doing the smart thing. I think he's stepping back and taking it in the way he did with Baylor trying to see the problem from all sides because he knows that he doesn't quite know how to rule yet. And then he comes to the decision that I think is smart. Whereas Margot reacts in the moment. It seems like she's being a strong leader, but she's making dumb decisions. She's very emotional. You know why? Because women can't be leaders. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. I I keep bringing that up. I'm not even like that. Why do I keep saying shit like that? Something about me and you podcasting together as Listeners, I hope you know he's trying to antagonize me to be funny, but this is not the way he really feels. This is so not me. Um, But (laughs) seriously, I think that they are a necessary balance to each other, though. Oh, absolutely. If it was just Elliot there, they would think he's a pushover. So you do need a little bit of that Margot fire. A little bit of spunk? Yeah. At the same time, Penny is trying to get Benedict Pickwick, the map maker, to make him a map of where the moss grows. Until suddenly, the earth around the castle erupts into a giant chasm and the castle disappears. Benedict can't be bothered to figure it out because now his concern is making a new, accurate map. But Penny starts to investigate and finds a radioactive shield around the perimeter. So we kept saying next Thursday. I guess it would take time for him to make this map. But why is he so hell-bent on redoing the maps right away instead of figuring out what's going on? This is his life's purpose 
he doesn't know what else to do with himself. This is all this guy does. The most important thing is making an accurate representation of the way things are. And now things have changed on a dime, so he's got to fix it. Now, this is a magical world. And I get it. Like, having a map maker is kind of cool. Yeah. But why don't they, with magic, make a fillery app that shows, shows you where all the magic stuff is? And it's like a hotspot. And you just click. It says magic stuff. And it blinks, and you, you, you can walk like a Google Maps. Mm-hmm. I'll walk to the magic stuff. Um, so it has a GPS, and it has like find my ember on it for fuck's sake. And it's a little boop, boop. There's ember. As a tidbit, <laughs> you're making a joke, but this is actually something I'm putting into one of the books I'm currently writing. And it is almost a bit of an interactive map that moves and shows you what different creatures are doing in different locations. There you go. At the time. Why can't Fillory have this? Uh, they should. Fillory app. And mine's on a whole side of a wall on a mm-hmm. gigantic piece of tree bark. Very cool. So with the find my ember icon, would it be a face with horns? Would it be a pile of poop? The little ram's head like they have on the magician's website. Okay, we'll go with that. I was thinking yeah, more poop. No, no more befouling. <laughs> Meanwhile, when Elliot looks outside, he sees the castle has been kidnapped, transported to Loria. Prince S says he will give it back when they concede to his terms. In a separate conversation, Elliot chides Margot that she could have been more diplomatic and sacrificed like he did. After all, they don't marry for love now. It's part of the job. So this is the part where she gets sassy with Princess. <laughs> Stands up to him, says she's not going to marry him. That's not what's going on here. And she doesn't make anything better. This is why he cast the spell. And basically, they're going to concede to his terms or they're stuck here. You're not leaving me in a castle full of barbarian frat bros. <laughs> okay, fine. But while we're talking about them, you could have been a little diplomatic. By agreeing to marry a complete stranger on the spot. I did it. That was different. <sighs> You're right. This would only really be equivalent if S was a girl and you found pussy, you know, interesting and uh, sometimes you like Thai food kind of way and now it's all Thai food forever till you die. No. He's a man who seems arrogant and entitled and unclear on the concept of consent. I can't imagine what could possibly go wrong. Look, I'm not saying do it. It's just you're a queen. I'm a king. We don't necessarily marry for love. It's part of the job. And I I get what Elliot is saying. He, without a moment's hesitation, found out he had to get married to this woman that he didn't know. Not only that, it was going to mean that he couldn't be with anybody else. He couldn't leave Fillory, but he did it. It was a sacrifice that he had to make because it's a responsibility you have as a ruler. Mm -hmm. So he's frustrated that she didn't step up, but she explains that very well later and he gets it. Yeah, I get where his heart's at and where his head's at. He's not trying to whore her out. He knows she's a big girl and she can handle herself. He was thinking more along the lines as, we can make this work. This shouldn't be, you know, the end all, be all. We go to war now. A political alliance. He was thinking of her just as you said, strong Margot. But instead, in the conversation later, human-sensitive Margot comes out where she pretty much tells him, but you're a man. I am a woman, and this guy could be crazy. He could try to hurt me. And then what kind of predicament would I be in? And I don't think he expected her to say that. No. 
Now, this spell is very, very strong because that's a big castle. And to have an illusion spell, so good. That it looks like they're in Loria. And people outside, it looks like... There's nothing there. It's just rubble. Mm-hmm. Like it has actually been moved. And there's like a shield around it. Very, very skilled. And I know that these Lorians are warriors. They're not as soft. Mm-hmm. I mean, people these days, we don't have to hunt for our food. We just go to the store. Pillage, conquer. Nothing mm-hmm. like that. These guys have to survive every day. So they have to use magic and they have to use themselves. They didn't have magic land that would grow vegetables and things for that. It's true. Uh, Yeah, I loved the quest where we're going to get into that later. They do talk about that, what makes them the way they are. But right now, they're just coming across as bullies. Because we don't have that backstory. No, that's true. All is fair in love and war. (laughs) Put yourself in their shoes. You live in a barren, rocky place that's really difficult to live and survive. And the Falorians have had all the beauty and all the magic for so long, and they're messing it up and making it even worse for the Lorians. I can understand that, but they're all coming at the rulers at once when they have been there for hardly any time at all with a million different problems at the same time. This is not going to get them anywhere. Why not try to see what the children of Earth are going to do? Send an emissary where you can talk about the future of Fillory, their plans, yeah. try to work to make this better. Try to get to know these new... A war is not going to help anybody at this point when you have so many major pressing concerns. Yes. Yeah. Try to get to know the new rulers and see what they're all about. See if this is something or these are some ones that you can trust. And again, we've said this before. It's not like every other ruler that's come in. They've actually defeated the beast. You'd and they would find would out they're happy. actually working on getting the crops back. And they have a plan, and yeah. they're moving, and they're trying to grow. You think they would be happy yeah. about this the first time somebody comes in and they're out for the better of Fillory? But I guess Gloria doesn't really give a shit about the rest of Fillory. Back to Julia and Katie. They go to the building that didn't burn down 40 years ago. They find a marking under the floor, which turns out to be a sigil made of human blood. Realizing it will contain the DNA of whoever cast the last banishing, they collect and mix it in a Petri dish and throw it on the book in hopes it will show them where to find the banisher. I wrote in my notes, ready? Question mark. I don't know what the fuck they are doing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that sums it up. We kind of said it all about this scene already. It is what it is. It gets us to the point of we have to find where Dana is. Let's check in with Quentin. Well, we do know that it didn't work right away because at that current time, Dana was with the Haxon Paxson, which was hiding her location. When the book finally does open in the morning and give the location, it's when she's out getting cat litter. Mm -hmm. Yep. In the backyard, Quentin helps Daniel with the ritual to build the pyramid for Alice. Daniel advises against telling Stephanie because she couldn't handle it. Q tries to tell him what happened to Alice again, but he doesn't want to know. Daniel then tries to get Quentin to take the enchanted mirror to the top of the ladder for him to hang it from the apex of the pyramid. Still not really sure why they had to do this, but apparently he enchanted the mirror first and then the important next step was to hang it from the top. But he sensed it was going to be dangerous. He doesn't like heights. Okay. He hates heights and that's too high for him. But before I forget, when the mother 
comes back and does it, the mirror is so low now. She's not even on a ladder. She's standing just... That's true, because they were able to look into it. Yeah. So his fear of heights is what made him fall off the ladder? No, his fear of heights is what made him not want to do it himself and mm-hmm. make Hugh do it. Because when he, he was all set to do it, and when he looked up and was about to take a step onto the ladder, he was like, uh, Hugh, you should do this. Right, so what made him fall then, though? Oh, uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> he got emotional. Okay, I see. There. I thought there was some kind of danger to the spell of it. No, no, he got emotional, and then he's like, oh, okay. And then there was a pratfall. Gotcha. I feel bad for Quentin because, man, this guy has gone through so much already. And now this father, this adult, again, we're saying, when will the adults help? Well, this might have been the occasion, and adults like, you do it. And he's like, well, I'm not really up on yeah, my Egyptian. Well, that's why I thought there had to be something to the magic of it because Quentin was really hesitant. And if it was just a matter of taking it up to the top of the ladder, I don't think he would have cared. It was also saying the spell. Right. And he was going to do it. And then Charlie, I said Charlie earlier. You say Charlie a lot. I meant Daniel and I apologize. You said Charlie for Mayakovsky last time too. (laughs) That's right. Everybody's Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel said... Please forgive me, because the beginning of the podcast, I said Charlie, too. <laughs> Daniel said, you only have one chance to do this. And that's when he's like, well, then you should do it. All the more reason. Oh, okay. There's only one chance. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't know if you noticed, at this time, whenever Quentin was trying to bring up anything that's painful, Daniel is very passive about it and doesn't want to talk about it. So he starts talking instantly about the pyramid spell that they have to do. And I feel like this is something that he does his whole life. He avoids what's painful he avoids what's the reality of some things and kind of tries to put a cloud over it or or a mist so he doesn't have to worry about those things which i th- i think i do sometimes in life which is kind of scary yeah i i brought it up a couple times that quentin now has tried to talk to him about alice he really needs to get it out and work through it with somebody and he's thinking that the parents are going to be the right people to do that with because they cared about her too. They'll understand the grief and the loss of it, but both of the parents are not allowing themselves to feel that grief. They're not letting themselves go through it. And that's why they were acting so crazy earlier on in the episode, each distracting themselves with their typical behaviors. The mom putting on the fake show to her friends instead of talking about her real feelings about losing Alice. And the father carrying on with his rituals from ancient cultures, intellectualizing everything. Mm. That's his way of escaping. Mm -hmm. So after Julia awakens and we see the book opens and gives her the location, she goes there and she actually talks to the woman. Or actually Dana finds her because she's texting Katie. And she's like, "Are are you following me? And she tells her she needs Dana's help because Reynard is back and explains the pregnancy. You can see the look on Dana's face right away. Julia says she's willing to die rather than give birth to this demigod. But she can't let this happen again to another magician or anybody. She needs to know how to do the banishing. And this is when Dana finally lets her into the house. Again, something was just lacking here. I, I felt it was supposed to be a very emotional scene. And this was the time when the two women could connect. 
there was just something missing, oh, other than the fact that Dana is clearly sort of loony. <laughs> um, I just, I wasn't feeling it yet. I wasn't feeling her at all, and something told me not to trust her, and that was probably on purpose. Yes, yes, that part of it's definitely true. Oh, you meant feeling it, like the storyline. The scene just yeah. wasn't working for me. No, me neither. One of the blogs out there I was reading, and they were saying the exact opposite than we feel. What they were saying is they love the Julia and Dana story, and they think the Fillory storylines aren't that good because it's not, about, it's not a matter of life or death for them. It's kind of more middle ground, you know, certain risks, but the risks for Julia and Dana are horrible. But it is a matter of life and death, not only to their own personal lives, but to the entire world of Fillory, to all of magic, to every magician on earth. Yeah. Their stakes are incredibly high. I'm wondering... It just feels lighter because when we're over there, they're telling jokes and they're dressed in this garb. There's magical talking creatures. But the underlining problems are no less real. It just happens to be entertaining in the process. I have a feeling, and I don't mean to be mean or speak out of school because I don't know which author that was talking about it, but people that are saying things like that probably are those fantasy haters that we talked about. Uh, People that want to see less dragons on Game of Thrones, less mm. waving of magical wands. Just all in all, I feel like you are objectively getting more in the other locations. You know, I'm wondering if other people feel this way. So, Clatchards, let us know what your thoughts on the whole Julia and Dana storyline is. Let us know if we're being a little too harsh. Julia and Katie. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Let us know what your thoughts are. Is this one of your favorite storylines mm-hmm. or one of your least favorite and why? I want to know if we're crazy and we're just out there or if we got people feeling what we're feeling. Over at Alice's house, Alice provides Daniel with a clue this time. A picture from childhood that reminds him to be brave. It calls back to a memory where he wasn't able to rescue the cat for her. He understands the message is that he has to take the mirror up himself. He does it successfully, but then falls backward off the ladder, as we spoke about, and breaks his leg. He gets this inspirational moment, and he's like, I never forgave myself for that. I yelled at her because sometimes when out of fear, one lashes out. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this. And he gets up there, and he starts enchanting in the importance, and then he falls, and it's an awkward cut scene. What? It, it was the cut that bothered me. It was as though you couldn't even tell he was falling. One second he's on the ladder, and then, oh, where'd, yeah. he, where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> this episode had some of those, and then also I noticed that the cuts to commercial were very sharp. A person yes, would finish abrupt. a sentence. A, yeah, exactly. They would finish a sentence in a very good one, and as soon as the word was over, right there, over, yeah, and there was like there commercial, was no and space. I was like, holy shit, and even the episode ended that way, mm-hmm. with the last thing that Julia says, and then right away, next on the magicians, and I was like, holy shit, they're, they're I think this storyline was a little longer, Yeah, there was and they no had breathing to fit room. it in and still get the commercials in there. You're probably right about that. Let's go back to Fillory. Prince S is trying to play Margot. Until he realizes that she is not a naive virgin, but more like him. At this, the two instantly become attracted to each other. When's the wedding? If we forego the marriage, 
I'm willing to grant you periodic access to the wellspring. You think this is a negotiation? No marriage, no treaty, no Castleback. Okay, Conan. Let me explain to you how marriage works oh, where spare I come me. from. I know. My mother shipped me off to Exeter when I was 16. You? Fancy New England boarding school? Had a dorm full of future senators convinced I was an exchange student from Iceland. Point is, I get it. I'm shockingly progressive for a Lorian. We get married. I still let you speak in public. I'd make I'm not marrying you. You think I want to marry a virgin? This is purely political. Oh, my God! I'm not a virgin! Look, I've had the best in Loria. And Lorians are the best. That's why the way... You're a virgin to me, sweetheart. You get to see her work her magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. For lack of a better word. Um, She's a wily temptress. Yeah. And Summer said these scenes with S were very good for her because she felt like most of the time there's a veil on men when it comes to Margot where she can manipulate them. But it seemed like in this case, S had the veil over her. Mm-hmm. And he had control of her at certain parts which is exactly what enticed her and attracted her to him and also what made her freak out later when he was able to get one over on her yeah she's not used to that but i love the way she's playing it i love summer's acting of this part she's able to be really strong persuasive charming when she wants to we've seen the intelligent side of her throughout this season her knowledge of magic and how to make plans to get things done, how to stand up and be a ruler even when it's tough. But there's also still that kind of vulnerable interior to her. I think really later what it is is that she's hurt. She's hurt that she got duped. She feels bad about that. She lashes out in anger because that's what Margot does. Mm -hmm. But I, I love it about her. But in that moment, she does gain control of the situation and gets him pining for her. Mm Mm-hmm. In the other room, Fenn confesses to Elliot about her background, but she says hurting people was never the plan. He is upset, says he doesn't know who she is, and can't trust her. He wonders why she didn't just leave. She says she believes in him and wants them to succeed together. I trust Fenn at this point. I really do. I think she wants what's best for Fillory, and she believes in Elliot. And I think I already said this, but I am worried that if Elliot makes one big mistake that trust uh, could go away quickly. That's understandable, though, too. This means a lot to her, and there's a lot at stake here. What I didn't like was this conversation had been building, and again, it's the the whole thing that we didn't really resolve the Foo Fighter problem before the Loria problem was brought in because it should have been given more time and attention. Mm. The importance of her confessing that to him was a footnote to the part one of this scene with Margot and S. It was kind of just brushed over. Yeah, there should have been more importance to this. Do you think he was a little bit jealous because he says your boyfriend down there? And she's like, he wasn't my boyfriend. We were just close. We grew up together. I mean, it could be jealousy, but I think part of it is that knowing he is separated from his friends in a sense because he is high king. So his responsibilities supersede anything they have going on. They can just bounce back and forth to Earth when other shit comes up. Mm. They could leave 
not on purpose, but if something happened, they couldn't get back. He's really in a different position and feeling that since they arrived at Fillory. Then he had Fen, and it turned out he kind of liked her, and she was there. She believed in him. She wanted to help him, and now all of that was a ruse. So she could get in and get control and he doesn't even have her that he can trust anymore. And he's about to have a child with her. That's a really intimidating (laughs) position to be in. I really feel for Elliot. I don't know if you noticed, Elliot's face looks very pale. He looks like a lot of the energy is sucked out from him. And I, I feel like he's the only one that's actually experiencing the gravity of these problems. Margot yeah. is stomping around, yelling at people, declaring wars. Princess is treating this very pompously. Quentin's not even here half the time. Penny's off dealing with his own shit. Again, it really is falling, the weight of the responsibilities yeah. on him. And you can see that. Meanwhile, what is Dean Fogg doing? Like, Do you think he's going about the, his <sighs> days... Like normal? Who the hell knows? <laughs> I'd like to get another flash. I know we just left him, but I'm missing Mayakovsky already. Uh, me too. I, I don't know if we'll get much more of him. I know, but he's got oh, that wait, storage cell. The moss, too. And the moss. That's right. Yes. Well, that all goes back to we're not getting enough penny. <laughs> yeah. I'll bring the moss back to the boss. Oh, first, though, in Dana's house, she confesses to Julia that she was pregnant once, too. She tried everything to get rid of her demigod child, but to no avail. Also, Dana will not be able to banish Reynard this time, but Julia can. She starts explaining as she leads her through the house. Julia sees a room filled with cat litter, but no cat, and she becomes uneasy at that. She inconspicuously casts a spell just before Dana leads her into a room and hits her over the head. Why did she have to hit her over the head? So that she could get her tied up. To tell her that she needs to have the baby? I think she was planning on keeping her there until she had the baby. Oh. So that Reynard couldn't find them until it was too late. This is the only place. But you could speak to her about it. Explain to her, this was the only way I was able to do it. You should stay here because my Haxon Paxson is keeping us hidden. And you want to know how we have to have this baby. And you have to, at this point, I'll tell you what to do and we can banish him. And also, don't be worried about the baby because my baby's very strong, blah, blah, blah. And, like, explain everything. Yeah, well, I think what happened was when she first took her into the house, maybe she was open to having that conversation. But very quickly, Julia made it clear, I would rather die than give birth to this baby. I will do anything to stop that from happening. So now she has to go into survival mode. Dana, she's got to keep her there then. There's no other choice. She needs to have the child because they have to get rid of Reynard. Yeah, so the power of words works as well. But I think when you see that kind of conviction in somebody, though, nothing yeah. you're gonna say is gonna convince them that's she. She Julia has had it in her head mm-hmm. that she's gonna deal with Reynard one way or the other. So she's not gonna hear this is the only way. I think they also made it where us as viewers would hate her a little bit, mm. so that we would forgive Julia for leaving her there to die. Yeah, basically, certainly. Let's get some magic. <laughs> Margot falls asleep after sleeping with Prince S. Margot, hey, whoa! I swear I was gonna study. What? No, no, it's it's me. It's actually me. Oh god. Oh god, I'm asleep. Uh, yeah, you must not be in imminent danger if you're napping wherever you are. Kidnapped along with the entire castle. Yeah, I know. There's a crater. Where are you? Loria. 
some canyon with these purplish rock things. Rock things? What? Dicks. Okay, they look like dicks. <laughs> uh, full sail or half? Honestly, it's a variety pack out there. Okay. Uh, I got it. I'll find you. And Penny? If you ever tell anyone you saw this... Ooh, oh, no, 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 I'd never. I, uh, I'd much rather have you owe me huge. Uh, we've all had many of these dreams. It was so perfectly played, though. Unprepared and What naked. happens when you have that dream? Yeah. And then imagine, in the midst of your terror, embarrassment, trying to figure out, is this really happening? What's going on? Penny just shows up. <laughs> He's like, and what he's is going really on here? here. <laughs> Another great scene with Penny. He, just a little bit that he's in. He's so charming and funny. And he's witty. the only one ever getting shit done. <laughs> he sees the castle's gone. He doesn't know how to get in touch with them. I know what I'll do. I'll try to read one of their minds. Yeah. And you mustn't be in trouble. I mean, you're sleeping during the day. And he's like, don't worry. I'll find you. And Margot wakes up and is... Gets up, and you can see she's really in her head. She's trying to figure shit out. And S is like, are you trying to find a weapon to kill me? Through their banter... No, it's my resting bitch face. Yeah. <laughs> and through their banter, I think she starts to think and realize, I could really like this guy. Yeah, that was a pivotal moment, because she leaves there ready to tell Elliot, okay, I'm going to marry this dude. I decided he's not that bad. We like each other. We're way more alike than I thought. She could see this working, but that's the end of their interactions for right now. And then you go back over to Penny for a moment. They're outside, and Benedict tells him he needs to go to the cock barons of Loria to find his moss. So apparently this is a real place in Fillory, a separate place, not the cock barons, just somewhere that's in the yeah. Lorian kingdom. So that's the one time that it's brought up. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we shouldn't forget about the fact that Penny can speak to them through their dreams. I think this could be one of the most powerful weapons in the future, especially if they are unable to speak to each other in real life because someone's in trouble. Mm -hmm. You can always go and speak to him in your dreams, which is pretty amazing. That's a huge power. Now, if magic dies, meaning the ability to cast spells and do it in the way we think of, would all of Penny's talents disappear yeah because it's magic i assume that too then i was thinking about the fact that when he lost his hands which are supposed to be the implement for any magician the conduit to magic he was still able to both travel and read minds so is this something magic but in a way separate from the other magic most people perform you might be right i don't know i feel like as you said that could be critical for something in the future uh, maybe if magic was totally dead and gone, that would be gone too. But there could be a time where they're really relying on that. And I would love that ultimate <laughs> scene where him and Mayakovsky are two of the only people left that have any kind of magic. No, that'd and they be have cool. to work together to save everybody. That would be amazing. I'm spinning tails here because now, again, this is very different from what it was in the book. And... I'm so excited for the areas that present new opportunities. Me too. Laid up with a broken leg, Daniel still refuses to hear about how Alice died, even though Quentin wants to tell him. So we keep repeating that storyline. It's several times that Q has tried to do this. Stephanie pulls him aside. She tells Quentin she's not crazy, as Daniel thought, and she will help him finish the pyramid. 
Meanwhile, Julia wakes to find herself tied up on the ground in the basement. Someone or something is tied up in the other corner. Dana tells her the demigod growing inside her is like a tiny nuclear reactor, and she has one chance to harness the energy inside it while in labor with the child. Dana says she has no choice. That's how she banished Reynard the first time. I have a question for you, something you brought up before. Mm -hmm. I do remember her saying there's only one possibility to get that magical energy during the labor, mm -hmm. but I don't <clears throat> remember her saying there was a time stamp on how long she keeps that energy. Like, once she gets that power... She never said it, but it's insinuated. Why? Because that woman no longer has that kind of power right now. How do we know that, though? We haven't well, seen just like her everything do any else, magic. But it's the same thing as with Julia has a lot more power right now because the baby's in her. Um, Alice had the power when she drank the god's stuff. Right. <laughs> Sperm. Uh, it's all power that's momentary. Yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking if this is a child and a part of you and somehow some of it is passed on to you, on the way out. We don't know the rules of that really yet. Maybe she does get to keep some of it. Maybe it's at its strongest for a little while. But I think we need to see more of Dana because we don't know the whole story here yet. Uh, I think she will be Deda. Dana soon. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I really thought that that gimp in there was the son. The Hexen Paxen. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I did too. Julia um, did as well. And was he jerking off? It looked like it, but I really don't know. While this is all happening, we see that Katie goes to an old friend of her mother's looking for magical help for Julia. The friend says she knows people who can help, though she wouldn't do business with them if she had a choice. You know what happened to your mother. Yeah, I guess it was one of her mother's old friends. And I, I was thinking this has to be the magic she was telling Julia about, that she could get rid of the baby, but it has serious risks associated. Yeah but now they don't have much of a choice. Again, it felt a little weird just to throw that in there when we cut right away from it. We don't get more information in this episode. Mm. Uh, I assume we'll come back to it. You see Julia is still stuck in the basement because the door disappears every time Dana enters. That was a cool bit of magic. Yeah. When she wonders aloud here if the man in the corner is Dana's baby, this is where she tells her it's not and describes what a Haxon Paxon is, a creature whose magical energy is so strong that it cloaks their presence, making them invisible to Reynard. I think it's magical stench is so strong. Well, she said stench too. Yeah. So I don't know. It's weird. We don't know really what this thing is. <laughs> what is it? It's a Haxon Paxon. Do. <laughs> it... The way it's acting... It's like a ghoul It's like something. an overgrown child. Yeah. But this is what I was going to ask you. So this Hacks and Packs is, is kind of a dum-dum. But is this because of the way Dana has been treating it? Mm. Always in the basement, locked up, shits in the kitty litter, eats... Blindfolded, wasn't he? No. It's something over his head. He has like a... That's why I called him a gimp. He's got kind of like... You can see out of the eyes. Oh. But it's, he's covered. It was weird. Is this the nurture or lack thereof that made this Haxon Paxon this way? Or are, are they all or that the way? Or the nature. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Dana also tells her here that her child is safe, but he'll never know who he is or who she is. But he's a good, influential man. He's Donald Trump. So he doesn't know <laughs> he's magic? The baby? 
the one she had. Oh, uh, I don't know. He's I mean, a demigod. This is, this is very interesting, and I hope they this falls into the storyline somewhere in the future. Maybe they need him. Mm-hmm. Maybe Katie actually needs him to kill his father. That would be so weird. Yeah, I mean, Dana says he doesn't know who he is, so I assume that means he doesn't know he's magic. Yeah, but when you're a demigod, there's got to be things that happen, even by mistake, that's magical. No? I don't know. You saw the way Quentin grew up. And how does... He would have never known that he had those abilities, doesn't seem. I guess so, but wait. Time out. I know Quentin's not a demigod. How does Reynard not know where his son is? If he can sense where Dana is, but he can't now because of the hacks and packs, and the son's out there living his life, That's influential a man. Good question. Maybe he never knew the son was born, so he just never thought to look. You can, uh, if he can sense Dana, he can sense a son. I, no, you would think, but that's the only explanation I can come up with that she was able to cloak herself, have the baby, banish him. So he's just never thinking to look for him. I don't know. They, they, you're right, though. They have to go back. They have to explain that better to us. Maybe they will. Maybe he doesn't kill Dana now. And he uses Dana to find out where his son is. Mm, I could see that. Do you think we know who he is? Like in the storyline. Oh, like a character we've met? Yeah, he's probably in his 40s. Ooh. There's nobody I can think of that fits that bill. Somebody who's got extra magical powers you know or is just a normal person i mean we haven't really seen if it is a normal person out there living in the world we haven't seen much of that because of our exposure so it would have to be somebody within the magical community but yeah i think that would probably be a new introduction yeah i wonder that's going to be interesting i'm very intrigued about that storyline yeah and that scene ends with katie breaking in knocking dana out and freeing both Julia and the Haxon Paxson because Julia insists on taking it with them. The scene was great because she uses magic to explode out the, the hidden door. Mm-hmm. And then she's about to use magic to hit Dana. But she's like, magic won't work here. And then as she go, picks up the bat and is ready to hit her. A bat, Jesus. Katie just punches her in the face. Yeah. In the face. Knocks her out. Very badass, right? Yeah. Have a little more hope for Katie? Do you dig her a little more because of that? I never disliked Katie. No? Katie, I like. I just feel like she's been sidelined along with Julia. It's Julia that's frustrating me, and I I felt they didn't know how to reintroduce Katie back into the storyline after being gone from Penny, which that was never even resolved. They never even had a conversation, the two of them. That frustrates me to no end. They just stuck her with Julia so Julia could have a sidekick. And I always saw Katie as being more than that. They work very well together, though. Julia knew enough to leave that little sign on the wall, magic sign, so that she could be located. And Katie was there very timely. And I love how happy Julia was. She even gave her a smile after she punched Dana out and then says, we'll take him with us, too. Yeah. Well, speaking of, even though they're not my favorite pairing, there are some good things happening there. And in Anastasia's email, she said, there was an interesting parallel with Katie and Julia at one point in the beginning. Julia tells Katie she's mixed up her dose and it's on the counter. Katie tells Julia she's got the pickles that Julia has been craving. Both of them are seen swigging and munching at the same time, both having cravings to deal with, but for very different reasons. I thought that was a clever contrast. That was cool. I didn't even pick that up. 
Yeah, I didn't either. I guess I've been so busy being frustrated with them. I'm, I'm missing some of the nuances. So I'm thankful to those of you who are enjoying parts of it to point it out. Right, this is where we get the quick scene of Penny. He kind of flashes back like he's been traveling. And he says to the map maker, I looked at all the dongs. No more dongs. <laughs> where else could the castle be located? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, dongs. Um, but that's what he said. And the map maker said, that those are the only locations the, the castle could be. Mm-hmm. Well, the cock barons, supposedly, they're shaped like that. That's why they call them oh, that. Oh, dongs. Now I get it. Yeah. yeah. Shit. You've got to see the picture to really understand because they show it. I, I'm one of the pictures on the sci-fi website, and they're vaguely does. phallic-shaped. Yeah. When he goes, wait a minute. Oh, I hope I'm right. Mm. And then he's able to warp or travel into the castle. I still don't know how he put it together. I guess just common sense, though, that it was still there. Because, okay, so it wasn't transported to Loria. But I don't think my first thought would have been, it's still right where I left it. Not knowing that Ilaria was an illusionist. You know, not it could be anywhere. It Uh, could be, could, you know. Yeah, but I think he just... He went everywhere. I just thought it seemed as though there was another piece of the puzzle when he was investigating that radioactive perimeter. Mm -hmm. It seemed like he put something else together there, too. But maybe the fact that it wouldn't let him go through it. He was like, oh, it's a spell to keep me from realizing that the castle's still here. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. So that's when he lets them know that they've been duped. Mm -hmm. Yet again, Penny... Figures it out, helps the group. Mm-hmm. I can feel your wheels turning, wanting to name him MBM, but we're not there yet. We have three more scenes first. As Stephanie begins messing up on the mirror spell and nearly ruins it, Quentin forces her to tell the truth and try to understand her daughter. Alice, she needed a strong female role model. She was so lucky to have me for that to tell the truth. But that is the truth. Alice was complicated. She never figured out how to be a woman. It's not the truth. Not for Alice. Don't be ridiculous. This is just Alice. Up to her usual tricks. She was always so hard on me. This is not about you. Will you just for once in your life put yourself in your daughter's shoes? Do you want me to say... That I never understood her. That I never really tried. I didn't know having a daughter would be this hard. I resented her sometimes. I... I I, I just need a minute. No. No. She does begin to try to do this and express her feelings, her loss over losing Alice, but she can't. She can't finish and she leaves. Now alone, Alice tells Quentin she is pleased with the revenge she had on her parents. What fun it was, and they're going to have more together, she tells Quentin. Also, she was there, after all, when he cast the Niffin Beat in the beginning of the episode. She also tells him the Caco Demon didn't kill her, it wasn't strong enough, just forced her into the tattoo trap in his back, so now they're stuck together. 
Stupid Quentin. Isn't that what she said? Stupid yeah. Quentin. Okay. Stupid idiot. So she is a niffin. You can see she's kind of bitchy <laughs> and mean. Yeah, she's Quentin. vengeful. Very vengeful. Kind of childish, though, that all she wanted was to get back with her parents, get back at her parents. Mm-hmm. Now, her brother, when we got him back as a niffin, he had no knowledge of his past life. Right? Because it was just pure magic. No, and he was He's not evil, in there anymore. Evil. Right. Yeah. With this, Alice is still in there somewhere. Yeah. So maybe something is different. Now, yeah, Alice did say she did is. this on purpose. She became a Niffin on purpose, which means she, I'm thinking, was prepared to become one, which means she had a plan to not let it completely take her over. That could be... It's just that everything we've known about the transformation into a Niffin thus far suggests that the magic gets so out of their control that's why this happens and burns away everything they have left. Maybe she found a way to tether herself to her spirit somehow. I'm not sure. I think so. And I'm really glad because I was really worried that Alice was actually dead. And I'm glad we're still going to have her in the storyline. Mm-hmm. And I think if they play this right and they don't bog it down and then add too many layers of other shit and then just kind of like creep this storyline in and finish it, I think this could be a very interesting storyline. So at the end of this episode, this is what I mean. Looking back at it, they've brought three, two or three storylines to the crest that could be very interesting. I'm kind of excited to see those play out. I just hope they don't abandon all the other ones we were excited about. Yeah. Now let's go see Dana and what happens to her once she wakes up. She's alone in her house and she realizes she is trapped inside of a magical ward, one that we recognize. And Reynard shows up. He thought Dana was dead because she was hidden so well and he could never find her. But with her hacks and packs and gone, he was able to find her. Mm-hmm. And he looks happy about it. His eyes nice and yellow. <laughs> and he's creepy and I'm really intrigued what he's going to do with her. Is she also going to give up Julia? Easily, too. I wonder. Probably not, because she has a lot of hate for Reynard. As you said, she may die too quickly for any of that to become relevant unless he needs her to find the son. And in our last scene, Penny tells Benedict the missing castle was all strong illusion magic. Inside, Elliot tells Margot the decision on marriage is hers to make. After all, he knows better than anyone how crazy it is to marry a stranger. That's their... Little heartwarming scene. Yes. Where that's they're right. kind of apologizing to each other. Because they both understand each other at this point. Mm-hmm. In the end, they always end up understanding each other. You notice that? They'll have a little fights in the beginning of an episode, mm-hmm. but in the end, they're copacetic and they're on a level plane again. They're almost like a couple. Yeah. This is also, though, where Margot, having figured out what Prince S did to them by duping them, takes control and announces. The High King and I hereby declare war on the Kingdom of Loria. Yes. Wait. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I wonder how this is going to turn out because, I mean, they were able to march right up to the throne room and just, you know, basically take care, take over. So uh, what kind of a war do you think this really will be? I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel this is a good time to expand upon what we learned on Loria. Maybe it will give us more information for what we can expect in the coming episodes. The Fillory quest here, number six, was called The Ways of Loria. It says if you're going to get Fillory out of this mess, the brink of war, you better do your due diligence. 
and they give us knowledge about this area of the kingdom. Florians and Lorians may sound similar, but our neighbors to the north couldn't be more different. While Fillory lives a peaceful, plentiful existence, the Lorians scrape by in an arid kingdom played by scarcity of resources, including magic, meaning the wellspring has been a key point of contention between the two for centuries. Because Lorians have always had to struggle with what little they have, they prize cunning, resourcefulness, and a warrior's ability above all else. They are proud, principled people who take duty and honor very seriously. Despite this, they are not above using their few advantages to take advantage of their more fortunate southern neighbors. But do not dismiss the Lorians as a bunch of hot-headed, nationalistic warriors. For all their patriarchal social structures and animal pelt aesthetics, Lorians are actually surprisingly open-minded. After all, the current Lorian king married a child of Earth and sent their son, Prince S, to broaden his perspective at a school on Earth. The scarcity of magic does grant the Lorians one distinct advantage, though. Where Florians let their land's inherent magic do the heavy lifting, Lorians have had to work hard to harness the little magic they have. As a result, they possess some powerful magicians, like royal illusionist Alario. So that says it all. They're cunning, yeah. they're resourceful, <clears throat> they have figured out ways to take what they need. And because they've been getting so little of that trickle off of the wellspring, mm -hmm. they have had to find ways to hone their magic and have done it so well that one man can cast this amazing spell like this. So mm, I wouldn't discount a war yet. A serious one. Yeah, I mean... I wasn't discounting the war. I was discounting how much Fillory could fight them, like how much they had. Oh, well, I think... If they were able to just march right in. Sheer numbers-wise, the magic that our magicians know, I, I kind of see it like it could be even enough, depending on the amount of people. Like, I don't know, maybe a lot of people live in Loria. I just didn't picture it that way. Well, as long as the crown can get all the Fillorians to back them, yes. including... The Foo Fighters. Yes. All right, Chris. So how many crowns do you give this episode? I had to think about that a lot. I was pretty back and forth. I've landed on 7.5 crowns. Same with me. I was very low during the watching of the show. And the more I thought about it, the more I digested it. And then I watched it a second time. I'm going to go with 7.8 crowns. Okay. Well, this makes sense. I initially was going with 7 and then I looked back at the ratings I've given before. They were 9, 8.5, 8.9, 9.4, 9.4. So my lowest for episode 2 was an 8.5. I thought, I can't go lower than a whole point. I didn't dislike it that much. Yeah. So this felt like a good stopping place for me. Yeah, same here. This is my lowest. But again, looking back on it, if I don't dwell on the execution of some of these storylines and I just think about what storylines they did open up for us I really do like this episode mm -hmm. or I like it better than I originally felt so I feel pretty confident though it's my lowest 7.8 is the lowest I would go for this and along those lines who is your MVM another struggle I had I had to scrape to find one that I really was proud to call my MVM but I'm going to go with Margot because I believe she was the only one with the gall 
Well, I really wanted to go with Penny, but you won't allow me to do that. I think I only have one Penny left for well, the season. Well, and it was such a short yeah. Penny glimpse this True. time, it wouldn't have been the place. She would have ended up marrying him if Penny didn't let them know that they're not actually... Yeah, but if you think about it that way, you could probably name Penny MVM for every episode. Mm-hmm. And not that he isn't good for it, but yeah, I agree with you that it's much more of a Margot right up until her last sentence of declaring war. Yeah. It's more of her episode. Definitely. We got to see her strength, and she was wearing her badass gown. Well, I was a bit frustrated. I thought about that, but I am following my rules, and I've given it to Margot. I've given it to Elliot and to Penny, and I really was seriously dissatisfied with nearly everybody, (laughs) the way our characters were acting this episode. So I'm going to come out of left field here and give it to Ilario. For his master illusionist magic. Wow, nice. He's not one of our magicians. We don't necessarily like him, but you do have to respect what they're capable of, especially knowing how hard they've come by their magic. And it was a cool spell. That too. (laughs) And he duped them. Yeah. He duped them all. We asked our fellow Clatchers what their MVMs were. And Melanie wrote, even though I'm a Hashtag Team Alice girl. Hmm. I got to go with Katie or Margot for episode six. I agree. I mean, I was right there with her. And Melly said, even though Julia got caught, the way she used magic before and after was quite smart. That being said, Penny did save the day in that episode. I don't think you're going to get anybody that disagrees with you. I know. On that Penny thing. (laughs) We all love him. Penny, come on the show if you're listening. Yeah. (laughs) At Catching 24, which I believe is Anastasia, in a weird way, Alice's mom for finally facing up to Alice's reality as her child. Oh, I would agree with that if she was able to follow it through. But she she only just just started. She said very little about how, like, what do you want me to say that I'm upset that she's gone and I never really dealt with how I felt about my daughter? And then she gives up and says, I can't do it. And that, I had so little respect for her, Mm -hmm. Stephanie, to begin with, that really just shattered it for me. Shattered. If she came to a realization and, like, learn from it, Mm. I would agree more. And maybe that might have changed something for Alice because at the end of the day, neither one of her parents were fully able to make it right for her. She was getting revenge on them, but part of me wondered if there was still something of Alice left. Was it more of a test right, to see if they were able to prove themselves and their love for her because they never were really able to do that in life? And Yeah, I mean, her father for a moment there looked like he was going to learn from this. I mean, he he got inspired and was like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. I am afraid of heights. But then he failed, and now he's got a broken leg, and he's going to drink his sorrows. And that was the end of it. He's going to run from it. And then she literally runs from it and and forgets about helping her daughter, her soul, to rest and runs away. So they both failed. Yeah, epically. Anastasia also gave her favorite Elliot quote for the episode. What the actual all-encompassing fuck is that? Closely (laughs) followed by, wait, you milked a unicorn? (laughs) My favorite quote was, oh my God, fuck your parents, dude. (laughs) We also got a winner for last episode that we didn't get until too late where Lindsay wrote in to say that her winners last time were the pregnant talking bunny because she's just a simple commoner 
and she kept mimicking that for a good while after. Also, Elliot's foo-fighting wife with the mysterious past, and mad props to Margot and Elliot for being the least snobbish people in the room. <laughs> and at Goper91 said, her favorite quote was, when we're the least snobbiest people in the room, there's something wrong with the room. Ah, same thing. Same thing, yeah. I feel like we all loved we're that all on one. We're the same boats. While we're into Clatcher's comments, I also had two questions come in from the same Clatchers. Lindsay asked, do they bleep out the swearing of the show in the U.S.? Because I can hear all the F-bombs in all their glory huh. here in Canada, which is fantastic. Awesome. I wrote back to tell her, but just to say it on air for those of you who are wondering. I believe what's happening here is that the live airing of it on Sci-Fi cuts it. On- online as well. Online as well, too? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that maybe the on-demand or streaming no. had it. Once it's on Netflix, there's no more swears. Ah, I see. I mean, once it's on Netflix, there are swears. Gotcha. So, yeah, we don't hear bleeps and we don't hear altered words. We just hear that dead air for a second. Yes. What the, what the f- Yeah. <laughs> is that? It's still cool, though. <laughs> I like it. Oh, it's better than the other options, definitely. And the second question was from Anastasia. It was more of a thought. She said she kept being freaked out by the reflective blue lights in Alice's dad's study. For a while, she thought it was Niff and Alice lurking somewhere listening to their conversation, but now she thinks it's light from somewhere else. I didn't even notice that, Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if that was something or just a trick of the camera. Did you happen to see those lights? No, I didn't. So other clatchers... There's lights on her face. Yeah, that she does seem to at times emit a glow. And when she first turned into a Niffin, she was blue. So it could have been her kind of sneaking about and messing with Quentin's mind. I have to see that again. again. Check it out. I want to give a shout out to Jabby Dad and Bulberin for giving us really kind and self-esteem building reviews on our Magicians channel. (laughs) So keep those coming. We do appreciate those. It's like little endorphin rushes. And a shout out to Mugshot Collection, who is currently listening to our Westworld casts and uh, spoke to us via our Twitter at CKC Podcast about their plans to go home and sit down, relax and watch it. So we really appreciate that. And keep talking to us via Twitter. Follow us at CKC Podcast. We talk about Westworld. We talk about Game of Thrones, all the fun stuff. And we love to share what other creative things many people on the net are doing. Mm -hmm. And let's just keep this army growing just in case we need to go to war. (laughs) Real quick, just want to tell you about our Patreon. And we'll get more into it next episode. But we got something very special coming to our Patreon members next month. Mm. Christina bought, nope, I'm not going to say it. So next episode, we'll give you a little hint and a little clue. Stay tuned. But definitely check it out. Give it a try for a month. We'll make it worth your while. It's so much fun. Be a part of the crew. If you're thinking about a tester month, this would definitely be a good one to do it as we are planning some fun things. This would be the point where I would normally warn you about spoilers. And if you are really worried, then we will see you next time. Although I have to tell you, It is very minor this time around. I don't even have a description for next episode. But just in case, see everybody else next time. And for those of you that are still here, we got a brief, brief glimpse of episode eight, plan B, where all we see is that the gang is robbing a bank. Gang and a bank. That's all we, right? I mean, we didn't get much more information than that. 
I wonder what the bank is. It, it mustn't. Maybe it's not a bank of money. Maybe it's a bank of power or magic or spells. The only thing cool about that is it seems like we're finally getting everybody together. together doing something. Yeah. Now I, it's even the way the preview was formatted was odd. It did not feel like a preview for the magicians. There was a strange feeling to it. I believe in them. Yeah. Let's keep hoping. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on the internets. And until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.